Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Pass for Seaman Teibel. Try to regain the lead for Finland. Goes to the backhand. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The rescheduled 2022 World Junior Championship wrapped up this past weekend, and all three Kings prospects playing in the tournament wound up winning a medal. Casper Siemens-Heibel and Samuel Hellenius picked up silver playing for Finland, and Helge Granz won bronze skating for Sweden. That's all well and good, I hear you saying, but how did they play? Why should we as Kings fans care? Excellent question, says I. But frankly, I wouldn't have very good answers, so I reached out to Cameron Gons to ask him what he thought about it. Cameron Gons has spent the last two seasons playing defense for the Ontario Reign. He's played with both Gronz and Hellenius, and he did an excellent job breaking down the play of those three Kings prospects at the WJC, and he shared some details about the Reign and some other teammates. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I always enjoy talking to Cameron Gons. Right, we talked to Chris Peters before the World Junior Championships about what the, the uh, Kings prospects would do in the tournament, but now to talk about what they did do in the tournament. Cameron Gauntz, defenseman for the Ontario Reign, played with two out of the three players. Cameron, how are you doing today? Uh, very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for, for joining me. Now, you and I talked before the tournament began, and, and you said you were going to go ahead and watch all the games and, and come, you know, write down, jot down some notes for Casper Seaman-Teibel, Samuel Hellenius, and Helge Granz. And we were going to talk about how they performed. Because Kings fans, hockey fans in general, right, they want to know what the kids are going to do in the future. Um, so I, I thought, well, we'd get somebody who's played with two of them and uh, will likely play with all three of them in the future, hopefully. And uh, so let's start with Casper Seaman-Teibel, because as we've said, I have not had a chance to see him play live. I think he's probably the last, other than the, the guys they drafted this year. I think Seaman-Teibel is the only one I haven't actually laid eyes on. He wasn't able to come to development camp this year, and obviously COVID precluded it in previous seasons. So hopping straight into it, what did you see from Casper Seaman-Teibel? And uh, let's start just with pool play before we get to the elimination game. So with, with pool play, I feel like he played a pretty consistent game throughout. Uh, compared to the other kind of two guys I was watching and Sam and Helgi, he kind of brought a very similar game every time he played. And what jumped out to me the most was he was a player that's always in motion. Um, he's a guy who, and knowing this from someone who's been told their skating isn't good enough many times, <laughs> he's a guy who, because he's always in motion, he's not very tentative in terms of his reads and reactions, He's never going to be someone who's told you're too slow or your feet don't. He, listen, his skating looks strong, 
but it might not be as strong as some other guys. But because of his efficient movement and his perpetual motion, he's someone that's always involved in the play, always getting in on the action. And the other thing that jumped out on me was his consistent effort. He's someone who is never afraid to give that second, third effort on a play in his own zone, in the offensive zone. And it really jumped out at me how good in those battles or on the forecheck or the back check or particularly playing the bumper spot on the power play, how effective he was because of that consistent effort. Let's let's focus on the skating for a bit, because this is this is something that I'm fascinated by and I have been for years. Um, longtime listeners of the show will probably have heard this story before. But when I was, I don't know, in my early 20s, I think. Um, I had a friend of mine, I'd known him since first grade. We wound up getting an apartment together. He was a huge Ducks fan. And he would always talk about how he didn't need to see the jer- the number on the jersey. He knew Paul Korea just from the way he skated. Mm. And I would always say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he'd be like, come on, man, you watch the game. You see these guys, you must be able to recognize their skating strides. And I said, I, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. And for years after that, I've heard people talk about skating. And for whatever reason, my brain, my eyes do not, they don't log information about how guys skate. I don't, <laughs> I don't have any opinion about it. I don't know anything about it, but it is a huge topic of conversation. Tons of players, whether they're good skaters, bad skaters. So when you say Casper Simmons Heibel is, you know, a good skater, um, and you just called yourself out for being <laughs> accused of not being a great skater, like what? Yeah. What are some of the basics that that differentiate a good skater from a bad skater from a player's standpoint? So I feel like there's multiple, there's different variations of what a good skater could be. I don't think there's one because if there was one, everyone would just be compared to Connor McDavid, <laughs> sure, right? Sure. Like because he is the best, so everyone would be compared to him. But that isn't exactly how it works with skating. You could be a very good skater, but not be Connor McDavid. So, for instance, with Casper, he's got a very low center of gravity, not only because of how his height, but just how he, his base is much lower than some of the other guys. He's able to get a wide stance and he's able to get his knees bent and be in a strong athletic position while he's skating. And when he's skating, he maintains that throughout the stride. There's not much, quote unquote, hitch in his stride. You don't see his shoulder levels going up and down, up and down throughout the ice, almost like a heartbeat. You don't see that with him. You see kind of perpetual flat line with his shoulders, so he's able to maintain a lot of speed and strength through that. With that low center of gravity, it really shows his strength and his turning. So when he's turning, his, his ability to go from, for instance, when he's playing down low in the offensive zone and he has the puck on a stick and someone's on his back, if he feels a bit of weight distribution um, on his left side, he's able to turn to his right very well to, toward his backhand. And because he's got that low center of gravity, he's not going up and down, he's able to maintain his balance throughout the turn and then generate more speed out of the turn. So he's someone, I couldn't get a good grasp on if he's got great uh, straight line speed, like say an Austin Wagner, like Wagner could be one of the fastest skaters in all of hockey, for instance. And you can see on a day, uh, day-to-day basis that speed. Casper, I, I didn't see that, but I think that's because he was always in the proper position where he didn't need to constantly get on the back check and put show his flat out speed. Or in the offensive zone, he was always in positions that just needed short movements, short bursts, which he has. Um, so when I say he's a good skater, I mean he's able to maintain his speed throughout. He's someone who's always in motion, so you don't see the stops and starts you do with players who are a bit more tentative. Um, some players could be great skaters, but because they're constantly stopping, 
trying to figure out the play, trying to decipher what to do next, it might give the impression that they're slower or they play the game at a slower pace. Whereas Casper's always in motion and he maintains that low center of gravity throughout. Yeah, he picked up a, a bunch of points, but not, you know, the most points of, of anybody on Team Finland. But did you get a sense that he was playing the role that he was slotted into? Like, was he? I thought he played it very well. Like, okay. if you, essentially every game, uh, it looked like he was playing second line right wing. And then first power play, what I assume was their first power play, just because of the players they had on it. Though sometimes they were put out second, but still, I considered the first power play. Um, he did a great job of it. He started off a number of games very well. Uh, he scored, I think, the opening minute in a couple of games or his first or second shift in a couple of games in the opening round. Um, and with that role, he needed to provide offense. A point of game, I think, is providing offense. Um, yeah. Being able to – the power play, it wasn't set around him. He wasn't the focal point of the power play. But what he was able to do was always help. He was in a great support position. Casper uh, so is also very good. What I really noticed, because I think I, as a penalty killer, hate when forwards do it, is when he's in that bumper position, he does an excellent job of tying up sticks. Um, it's a little thing. He doesn't do it so much that it's interference. Like what's when you the, see, I'm going to jump in. Sorry. What's yeah. the value of that from an offensive standpoint? I understand what, what the benefit would be from a penalty killing standpoint. Yeah. Why would so a power off- play guy do it? Absolutely. So from an offensive standpoint, if you're the guy without the puck and you're creating an extra lane, so if, if he's the bumper guy and I'm the defenseman in front of the net, I'm doing my best to manipulate where I want the pass to go by putting my stick in one lane or another. When the stick, when my stick, or in this case, when the defenders from the tournament stick would go into a lane that he was in, he would lift the stick or sometimes he would lift sticks in other lanes. So then what would happen is you'd create extra passing lanes for the player with the puck that the defenders couldn't then stop. They had to force themselves to either stop moving their feet, pay more attention to getting that second hand on their stick and forcing it away. Um, and it's just one more nuisance that if I'm a defender and I've got someone taking my, if I'm trying to, trying to read the forward with the puck, I'm trying to read where he's going next. Okay. Typically they run down low. Then they like to come up, hit the top. If I know this is happening and I'm trying to figure out where everyone is. Meanwhile, Casper, who's not supposed to be quote unquote involved in this play is pulling my stick in a different direction. All of a sudden, my attention goes to somewhere else. And he was always doing that. So by doing that, it's always now something, another thing that the defender has to think about as the play is going on. Um, so by him doing that, created more time and space for others and also created more time for him. Like there was one play in, I'm look it up here. I believe it was the, I think it was the Germany game, which was, I know you said you want to talk about the, uh, that's Robert, right. but I believe it was the Germany <laughs> game or if it was the Slovakia game. I was trying to read which one it was. Um, what he was able to do was after when the shot came on net, because he was already in the proper position by using his stick, by using his body, he was able to make a quick pass to someone else on his team because the second defender had to come in and help the first defender. So just that manipulation of the lanes, the passing lanes, by using his stick, by using his body, he did a great job of playing his role in the power play. Five on five, he created offense um, consistently. And I thought defensively, the one thing you wanted every winger to do is get the puck out of your zone when you have the opportunity. And he did a really good job of his board battles, uh, going down low when he needed to, uh, quote-unquote counter-pinching the defenseman, so not giving them the opportunity to pinch lower into the zone. 
He was getting it out, and uh, he seemed he stuck with his whole line for the entire time. They were a consistent line, and after the first couple games, I thought they were their best line for the rest of the tournament. Really? Yeah, I, I well, thought the the Ratu, um, Hemel, and Hirvainen, or here number twenty two. I can't remember his last name. I can pronounce properly, so I'm not going to try. Um, I thought uh, Simon's line, Casper's uh, line, pardon me, was the most consistent line after probably the first two games when they put up the other line put up so many points. Uh, they're the ones creating the most offense, especially in the final round robin game, the quarterfinal, and the semis. How much? weight would you give to like you said they're probably the second line so mm-hmm. theoretically they're going up against slightly easier competition yep is that something that you would penalize a player for in the final evaluation or is it like oh here's an opportunity and they capitalized on it so that becomes a positive i, th- I think it's the, more the latter um just because he can't control who he's out there against if there was if he was taking, for instance, if you notice his shift length against certain lines was shorter than others, then you might see, oh, he's shying away from certain matchups. Like if he's out there against Canada's top pair and he sees that and all of a sudden his shift length is averaging 20, 25 seconds, whereas against the third and fourth line and the third pairing, all of a sudden he's willing to extend his shift, you might notice that. But Casper uh, just took advantage of the matchups he had um, the opportunity he was given on the power play of five on five. And for that, you can, I don't think you can hint, you can take away, uh, from what he was able to, to do this tournament. It's a weird tournament. You know, it's very short, right? Like the most amount of games you can play is seven, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's over before it even really starts. Um, yeah. and yet we pour a ton of attention into it and we try and extrapolate all these, you know, the ducks are, patting themselves on the back real hard for having back-to-back tournament MVPs drafted mm-hmm. by them. It's like, all right, great. You know, if, we, if, if it was King's prospects, we'd be doing the same thing, but it's hundred percent, you know, but it's the ducks. So we say it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but how much can you learn about a guy on how he performs in those high pressure situations, right? Four games around Robin and three single elimination. Well, I guess the last one is not elimination. It's just, it's hard, it's hard for me to really determine that because I think it all depends on the prospect themselves. If it's a prospect, like, for instance, Casper, he was someone who, to me, I saw his A and B game throughout the tournament. Uh, take away the pre- take uh, just for this particular this particular evaluation. I'll say I saw what he was able to bring when he's at his best. I saw what he brought when he didn't have his A his quote unquote A game, and his B game is a very effective game. His B game is still one that a coach can trust that you know what you're getting out of him, and he still is able to create opportunities offensively, even when his reads might not be the best, he might not be reacting quite as quick as he does in other other situations. And that's the biggest thing it took away from me because this is my first time watching him. Now, if you're watching, if you already know what a player is going to bring, for instance, what we talk about in a bit, Helgi. I'm very well aware of Helgi's game. So when you watch someone like Helgi in a turn like this, you want to see how he reacts to different situations. Because I'm aware of his game, the next thing is, okay, I know Helgi's game. How is it going to translate to the round robin? How is it going to translate to the pressure situations of the semis or the bronze medal? And what I think you start to see is you see the fact that they're able to bring certain levels of game or maintain certain games in those situations. And from that, that's something you can then build with the prospects. Like if they play great in the pressure situation, you need to then find a way to get them to emulate that on a Tuesday night when you're playing in the 50th game of the season 
on a back-to-back. You need to figure out a way that that prospect then is able to garner that same amount of awareness and that same amount of intensity to replicate that on a consistent basis. All right, before we get into Hellenius and Granz, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk a little bit about the Ontario Reign, because I know who you are. I'm mm-hmm. a big Cameron Gons fan. I think I told Thank you before, you. I want to be in the Cameron Gons business. <laughs> but if anybody's listening, and because uh, I've talked to people who identify, self-identify as huge Kings fans, and then I ask them, like, oh, you know, you're going to bring the kids out to a Reign game? And they're like, what's that? Like, come <laughs> on, man. It's come on. like my friends. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> There's one guy in particular. Sorry. Justin, who uh, <laughs> just always talks about how he's the biggest Kings fan in the world. I'm like, yeah, you're going to come to a rain game? No idea. Uh, anyway, um, Cameron Goss plays for the Ontario Rain. Well, uh, would you qualify yourself as like a stay-at-home defenseman? Is that a pretty accurate description? Pretty accurate description. Uh, I think my role over the years has varied based upon the team I'm on. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years, well, in junior, it was more of a do everything type of defenseman, and other years I've had to be depending on the team we have i've had to play first power play um and a game when you need to score but with this team looking at the makeup of it I, i'd consider myself more of a stay-at-home defenseman someone who just kind of plays the game well jack of all trades master of none type of thing where uh no matter the situation i can play it um you know your i know the systems very well there's not going to be much in terms of variation from my game you can trust what's going to be coming from it on a day-to-day basis and can bring Bring a game that can fit in uh, at any time of the year and with any group. And with the departure of Martin Furt uh, this season, one of the few guys old enough to rent a car, I think. Uh, although I think they changed the rules <laughs> yeah. there. But, but yeah. Um, now we've heard a lot from some of the younger players over the past year. You've been with Ontario for two seasons now. You'll be returning for your third this year. We heard from a lot of guys, Alex Turcott, Tyler Madden, players like that. Um, that you and TJ Tynan specifically were playing a huge role uh, as mentors, as tone setters, as, you know, uh, just sort of helping to guide the younger players. I know that you spent a lot of time with Jordan Spence, mm-hmm. um, a young player that a lot of Kings fans are very high on. So how would you describe, you know, the evolution of the of the reign with all the young players in the two years that you've been there and now heading into the third? Uh, first of all, it's nice of them to say that. I'll have to make sure they get their checks that I've been told them I'd <laughs> send them. Um, but it was interesting because the first year I was here, it was the bubble year. So not only was it new for them turning pro, but it was a whole new environment for a lot of those guys. And a lot, all of us, we all kind of experienced it all together, playing in practice rings with no fans, um, not really traveling too much. So it was a whole different year. So really this past season was a rookie year for more than just the guys who was their first year pro. Um, seeing them grow on and off the ice has been fun to be a part of because the thing with this team is, and the reason why I think I'm able to help them um, on and off the ice is they're A, willing to learn, but they're good people, B. Um, the fact that they're good people makes it more, you're more likely for instance, myself, I'm more apt to help someone that I enjoy as a person and I think respects me and is going to be, this could sound rude, but worth the time. Because, of course, we've all had coworkers that um, you're unaware of their intentions. You're unaware of where their motivations lie. You're unaware of if they're saying one thing one day, if that's going to mean the same thing the next day. And with a lot of the young guys that we've had, if not all, 
that's not who they are. They're the type of people who say what they mean and are very earnest in their motivations and intentions. So with that, it, it makes you want to help them any way you can. And I'll use someone like Jordan Spence, for instance. Um, we were roommates on the road. We were partners for almost the entire time, we were roommates on the road for the whole time. He is an absolute puppy dog of a child. Um, <laughs> he only means the best, only wants the best for everyone. And when you see that, it also gives them that much more leeway in the sense that if he does something wrong off the ice, and by wrong, I mean makes a mistake where he might not think something through properly. It's a, oh, shucks, Jordan, come on. <laughs> um, then, then after that point, if he repeats it, then I get mad at him and he knows that I get grumpy with him at times. But again, you see someone like that and you want to help him. You, you want to see him succeed on and off the ice, become a better person, become more independent, become more aware of his surroundings. And I think that's what a lot of these young guys have already started to do. Second and third years into the league, you see them changing their view off the ice of not only what's going on with them, it slowly starts to to expand. Um, I think that happens with most players is they start out with such tunnel vision of, okay, how's what's best for me today? What's going to happen today? Then all of a sudden, they start to gain a bit more empathy for their teammates. They realize what's going on around them. They see the coaching staff. They see the players. They realize everyone else is a part of the same thing, pulling on the same rope. All of a sudden, their vision starts to expand a bit. And with a lot of these guys, it's happened quicker than I would have ever expected. And it's great to see because then when you get more and more empathy amongst the team, you're able to understand each other better and you're able to grow uh, that much quicker. I'm just going to, I have to insert this in there. Uh, We talked to Alex Turcott and he was, or uh, Jared Schaffer and Josh Schaefer did. And they, they asked him at one point, the topic of video games came up. I guess the younger guys all play, you know, games together. Apparently the biggest trash talker is Jordan Spence because he's so much better than the rest of them. Like by leaps and bounds, uh, I think Turcott was saying, it's been a while since I've gone back and listened to the interview, but I'm pretty sure he said like, Spence just has no time for any of them because he's just so much better. And they, they all enjoy it because he is so good. That's all Um, I heard. Again, I sit beside Spence. I sit beside Spence in the room too. So, Whenever they're having a conversation, he's always screaming across my bow. So <laughs> I hear all about how good he is. He's got sometimes he forgets the indoor voice and other people's personal space, all that stuff. So I'm well aware of how good he is. Just that's ask great. Um, <laughs> he seems to be the one that, and of course, when you're that good, it's kind of like they don't. No one boos a nobody. No one's going to come at the guys who are bad at video games. So of course they're saying things about him, about how he plays. He shouldn't right. be doing this. He shouldn't be doing that. And he kind of just pushed it off. But then when you see, this is where I might act like a bit of a child too. When I see he starts to get bothered, instead of me kind of being the adult and pushing on, I kind of dig a bit further. So I can't believe they're treating you like that. Like, <laughs> you can't just let them do that. You got to, um, <laughs> because I'm not involved in the situation. Sure. I like to kind of just absolutely this, get stirred up a bit more. Um but no, he seems to be the best, according to everyone else and according to him. So, I'm I'm gonna steal nobody booze and nobody. That's a great <laughs> that's a great line. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know when we can't stand it when we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got route. 
It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. Uh, all right, so let's get into Hellenius and Grunts. We're going to start with Hellenius just because he's on Tim, Team Finland with Seaman Teibel. Um, You've played a few games with him. We've seen, you know, we've seen him at the end of last season in Ontario. We saw him at development camp. Um, I'm just going to say right off the hop, I refuse to believe that he's six foot six. He's way taller than that. Like, he's just way taller than that. I would tend to agree with you. So, w- how we traveled at the end of the season, just a quick story about how big Sam mm-hmm. is. Uh, we would fly southwest. And when you fly southwest, you choose your own seat once you get on the plane. I would always, because our names are relatively close in G and H, we'd be getting on the, the plane around the same time. So what we do is we'd always go to the back. I'd sit on the window. And he'd sit on the aisle. But because it's Big Sammy on the aisle, <laughs> no one's, when you're walking down trying to find a seat, you're not thinking, I'm going to sit next to the guy that looks like he's about seven feet tall. So it was perfect for us. We became real, not many words were exchanged at first. <laughs> But to see him sitting in those seats, there's no way he was 6'6". Yeah. Again, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know these things, but he looks like he's bigger than that. It's an imperfect science. But when you're watching guys, you know, in practice or at these dev camps or whatever, and they get warm ups or whatever, and you see guys standing next to each other and you're sort of doing the math in your head and you're like, all right, I know that guy's 6'3", that guy's 6'4". Mm-hmm. And then there's Helene. He was like a, you know, he's a I head know. taller than, than a guy who's supposed to be 6'5", who's also like, supposed I'm, to be 6'6". I, I'm six one. I wouldn't be surprised if you can eat an apple off my head. Like right. <laughs> yeah. He is a large, large human being. So given uh, how big he is and given he's one of those rare guys where it doesn't matter what round somebody's taken and it could be a seventh round pick. Right. And when the name comes up on the board, all the conversation is, well, who does he compare to? What's his ceiling? And the ceiling is like, well, you know, if he plays his cards right, he could be a you know, second line wing or whatever, whatever. The minute Samuel Hellenius was drafted, all the conversation was, that's third line center moving mm-hmm. forward. That's who he is. That's what he's going to be. We talked to Chris Peters going into the tournament, and Chris Peters' take was, yes, he seems to be well-suited for that role. Yes, his skill set seems to maximize for that role. But don't be surprised if, for Team Finland, he plays a much more prominent role or or at least a, a different, a more offensively minded game. So what did you see from Samuel Hellenius? With Sammy, I saw two tournaments, really. Okay. Pre and post goal. He had, uh, Sammy only had, again, I, I use the term only because it was only, he had one goal. Mm-hmm. I don't think that means he wasn't providing offense, but he had one goal in this tournament. And it was against Canada in the round robin. And to me, it was his tournament beforehand and af- afterwards. He was a much different player. I thought it was also the, the game after he was not playing. I don't know why he wasn't playing, whether it was injury, whether it was coach decision. I'm not sure. I'm to my, I really don't care because I saw sure. what I saw was how he came out and played. And if it was a coach's decision, I think it'd be even better because that just shows how mentally strong Sammy is because he came out that next game and he scored in the first period, and he was a whole different player. He was a guy who I was talking about about with Casper, where Casper looks like he's a very good skater. He could be a very good skater. I think he is, but he looks even better than he might be because he's always in motion, and that's what Sammy turned into. Sammy all of a sudden was much more confident in his reads. He was much more assertive when he was entering battles. Before, Sammy was the odd man on the pile, meaning if there was already 
a forward, someone from his team and someone from the other team in the battle, Sammy sometimes was taking a bit too much time to get to it after that goal. And for the subsequent games, he was in there. He was winning battles. He was in on the four check. Usually first, he was getting the net front. And when I say getting net front, I don't just mean he was standing there. He was engaging with the defenseman. He was looking to find where the shooting lane was to make sure. And he saw it with the goal in the gold medal game where he won the faceoff clean against, I believe it was against Stankovic or Stank, whatever, number Stankoven, 10 on I Canada. Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stankoven, pardon me, mm-hmm. who I think led the tournament in faceoff percentage. And Sammy won it clean, back to the point, bulldozed his way to the front, uh, net front and screened the goalie to a point where it was a short side shot too. Short side shots typically are going to be safe because usually that's where goalies are looking. Usually a goalie will look around the short side to see where the puck's coming from. But because of how well Sammy screened him, it went in. So that was just, it might be a small thing, but that's his confidence showing through just in how assertive he was after that point. And it even got to a point where, like Peter, uh, Chris was talking about before the tournament, you might see him in a more prominent role. He, after that point, he started playing more. And in, in the finals, he was on, I believe he was the second group out in three on three in overtime. So that means he was in there. He's either second or third i'm I'm probably gonna get that wrong but either way that means he was in the first six forwards to be put out onto the ice in overtime and he started the tournament out as their third fourth line center their bottom six was a bit rotating quite often uh they changed their lines quite uh, quite often unlike their top six but that means he was yeah one of their top six forwards by the end of the tournament playing a big role he stole a puck in overtime got the chance Gave it to the defenseman right in front of the net for the that led to McTavish making that save at the, on the goal line, but Sammy created that whole play. And again, after that goal, all of a sudden his confidence showing through his reads. He's always someone who's going to be defensively responsible. Um, Sammy was always on top of the puck, always the first man back in his own zone, doing a very good job being F three in the offensive zone, creating that quote unquote wedge between the defenseman to force the puck to the outside. That's something that he's already got in his game, which most young guys don't have. But we see what he was able to do was showcase how good of a skater he is. Be want the puck in the neutral zone, make plays with the puck in the neutral zone, hold on to it a bit longer in the offensive zone, and it really showed through with his game. And I was very happy for Sammy to see that. One of the mantras of this podcast is that happiness is measured by expectation, um, and one of the Goals I try and put forth in doing the show is to try and make sure the Kings fans have reasonable expectations so that they mm-hmm. spend as little time um, traumatized and disappointed as I did as a Kings fan growing up. <laughs> um, but you talk about Hellenius having that part of his game already. Do you think it's fair then to put expectations on him as a solid, you know, bottom sixer, if that even exists anymore? I, I see Sammy. Um he has a lot of the same tendencies in terms of how he thinks the game as my brother did when he came to pro hockey in that there could be times where they both thought and Sammy thinks, so you Sammy in the present tense, thinks defense first very frequently. And there's not many prospects that do that, right? Like if Sammy's, Sammy's always aware of where his other forwards are. Uh, yes, he seemed to have, and actually Casper did the same thing where it seemed like right when this possession was established in the offensive zone was almost maybe his Finland system was that they parked someone in front and Sammy was the guy who was always kind of at the net front but through the neutral zone after face-offs he does a very good job of 
kind of sensing that he needs to get out and be the third guy high or be the guy in the defensive zone to show the proper layer to fall back to the inside. So he's someone who I think if he's able to get to play for the Kings, because again, nothing's inevitable. If he is able to get that opportunity, he's someone who the coaching staff will be able to trust a lot quicker than maybe a more offensive minded player. So you might see Sammy go in, maybe not put up crazy numbers, but all of a sudden his ice time might be higher than some of these other guys. And he might have more one of those stats, the defense's own starts. He could have a much higher defense's own start percentage than some of the other prospects just because he's got that responsibility in his game already. Coaches know that when Sammy's on the ice, he's thinking about that first. And one of the biggest things every coach says, I need to be able to trust a player. And Sammy's a guy that you can trust right away. You know when you see uh, a yellow car and you're like, oh, man, a yellow car. And then for the next two weeks, all you can see are yellow cars. And you begin wondering, like, were they always out there and I wasn't looking for them? That's how I feel about the word trust. I'm sure people were talking about trust and using that word in hockey for decades before all of a sudden I started paying attention to it. But over the last year or two, with Todd McClellan in particular, now all of a sudden my ears perk up every time I hear coaches or players talk about being able to trust other players. So let's talk a little bit about coaches because in your time in Ontario, there's a bit of an odd turnover. Uh, Robleski starts out and then we're there with Craig Johnson and, uh, and Chris Gantz or um, Chris Height. Sorry. Blend two names together. <laughs> sorry, Chris Height. And now uh, it'll be Marco Sturm starting the new season. Um, Finland plays a very, particular style chris peters and i were talking about it too many too many c names out there um <laughs> talking about how you know they may not always be a pre-tournament favorite but doesn't matter what level doesn't matter what year they always manage to come away with a medal playing that system um is there a system like we hear about the kings and rain wanting to implement the same system so that there's ease going up and down with Marco Sturm coming down directly and the, then the shift in, in coaching in the two years you've been there, is the system still in place? Like you don't have to, cause you obviously state secrets and everything. But if I asked you to, to explain the system, um, could you do it relatively quickly? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, uh, if I was a quarterback, I'm a system quarterback. I'm a guy mm-hmm. who, if the team has a system, I'm usually very adept to it. I've got a very good understanding of it. Um, because I, I need to be that good at that in right. order to be a best player I can. I need to be someone who sticks to the script, understands exactly how the team needs to play and how it wants to play and kind of thrive on it. So with Marco coming in, um, I assume it'll be the exact same system so that, like you said, once players go up to the NHL, um, they know already how they're playing. So it's not something that they need to then show up in the coach's office. They need to go over all these things they can worry about just continuing to play. Um, with that word trust, and you talked about that, um, I think the biggest thing for a lot of these coaches, because they're constantly dealing with, they're dealing with probably 25 different personalities um, and 25 different guys you have to see, okay, who's going to be, who's playing well tonight or the 18 F skaters? Who's playing well tonight? Who do I, who can I trust to put on the ice that isn't going to hurt us? Even if they're not, like for someone like Sammy, I, I don't see, I don't know Finland's system per se. That's why I don't like making decisions on certain players or thinking about play because I don't know, like 
prime example is if a defenseman pinches in a certain situation, I, a lot of analysts will automatically jump to, oh, that was a bad pinch. Well, we don't know what the system is. Maybe their team specifically called for when a puck misses the net, for instance, and it's rimmed around the board on a shot, that defenseman is automatically signaled, you're going in. So then if he misses the puck, he still made the right read. We don't we don't know that. So I don't know what Sammy's system was per se. I got an idea of it based upon watching that many games. But with Sammy, whether he knows the system or not, you've got that trust in him just because of what he falls back on. Sammy's uh, kind of autopilot is, or his B game or his what he reverts back to is the defensive side of the puck. So he's someone that, even if his knowledge of the system isn't perfect, even if he can't write it inside and out, he's still someone that even if the system isn't perfect, you know he's going to be on the right side of the puck. Right. You just perfectly demonstrated why I'm such a big Cameron Gons fan and also <laughs> and also gave a real-world example of why I always say stuff like happiness is measured by expectations because what you just said about analysts saying a pinch was a bad pinch yeah, and saying you're not comfortable saying that because you don't know what the coaching staff expects. Uh, that is precisely the kind of thing I'm always, you know, people say like, Oh, well the coach made a dumb decision and you go, well, you don't know that you have no mm -hmm. idea what the coach, what directive the coach was given from upper management. Oh, draft pick was bad. Well, you have no idea what they hope to get out of that draft yes. pick. So you have no idea what they've yeah. seen over the years with these players, what they've learned behind the scenes. For instance, we talk about draft picks. Oh, that was a bad pick. Why? Because of the three lists you've seen online. <laughs> right. Like typically analysts aren't going out and watching all these games like these scouts that are paid to do it are doing. If a player doesn't work out a certain way, okay, that then there might have been something that they read that they might have not missed, but they might have looked too far into or didn't look far enough into. But that doesn't mean the due diligence wasn't done. So for a player, like you just talked about, if you want to judge a player based upon a number of games, or even if, listen, if you're an analyst and you have a job to do, you have to do it. But to say something was a bad decision, yet you're unaware of exactly what he was told beforehand, it just, it's not fair to the player. Now, again, a lot of fans might want to hear someone harp on a player. Sure. Oh, they saw the same thing. Oh, the fans, all of a sudden let's make the fans a lot smarter <laughs> because the analyst agrees with them, but it's not fair to the player. And I'm, Right now, I'm still a player, so I'm going to vouch for the player. So let's talk about the last player on our list, Helge yep. Drons. Um, before the season started, everything I heard, uh, the Ontario rain season, sorry, everything I heard was Jordan Spence and Helge Drons will most likely split time on the third pair, not expected. Either one of them will play a full season. It was both their rookie their first pro season in North America. Um if Jordan Spence hadn't had the season that Jordan Spence had, I believe very strongly that we would be talking about, oh, what a great rookie showing from Helgi Grant. 100%. Um, but Jordan Spence was legitimately incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Helgi Grant gets a little overshadowed, but he winds up playing, what, 56 games in Ontario, I think. Uh, and, you know, well, you played with him. So, I mean, how yep. did you feel he did as, as a playing a, his first professional season in North America? I thought Helgi's game and on and off the ice. Again, I, I'm going to use that again just because I see him on a day-to-day -day basis. And once Jordan left, I ended up being Helgi's roommate for quite a bit. And he ended up being my partner once Jordan left. So it grew leaps and bounds. Um, he is someone that in this tournament kind of showed the same thing. He makes a lot of the hard things look easy on the ice 
So when that ends up happening, you kind of take for granted what he's able to do. Uh, are there things that he wants to improve and the development staff wants to improve? Of course, but Helgi was able to adapt or put into play so many of the things the development staff was getting him or asking him to do. And you saw it in this tournament. Like, for instance, on the bronze and the bronze medal game, his assists. One thing I was noticing right from the start of the tournament, I talk a lot, as you can tell by this interview, and on the bench and on the ice, I talk a lot to my defense partner. So before every faceoff, I know exactly what I'm doing. So does my D partner, Helgi, and for the last part of the year, so that there's no confusion. And because actually he's the coach of the World Junior Canadian team, Dave Cameron, he always told us when he was my coach in junior, hockey doesn't have many as many stoppages as some of the other sports. Football, there's always a fresh start at every, every play. Basketball, after every basket, has to be an inbounds. There's out of play in all those sports. In baseball, every pitch, it's a new reset. Hockey doesn't have as many resets, but the start of every faceoff is. It's your chance to refocus, figure out what's happening next, and there's no excuse why you're not ready for a faceoff. Helgi showed that throughout the tournament. You could see him, again, some of the games were pretty empty, so you could hear him too, <laughs> talking to his defense partner and to the forwards on the ice of what play they're going to be doing. Usually it's nothing. It's nothing crazy. They're not exactly reinventing the wheel off these face-offs, but they are doing something and having everyone on the same page, that's something Helgi wouldn't have done previously. He's a shy, shy mild-mannered kid, but yet you saw him on every face-off talking to the other guys on his line, talking to his defense partner, checking to see what the offense was potentially running because a lot of tips, like I said, there's only so many plays you can do, a lot of tips of where their players are stationed it gives off what they're going to try to do. Helgi's talking about it. So like a long-winded way of getting to that assist he had, you saw right before it started, Helgi talking to his line mates, talking to his defense partner. Right when the puck was dropped, he exploded into the corner, was first one to the puck, and made a hard play on the puck that was able to rim it. If Helgi takes half a second to get off the line, or if there's any sort of confusion or any sort of um, hesitance right off that draw, that goal doesn't happen. But because Helgi's focused, ready to go, right off the faceoff, he explodes in the corner, makes that play. Yes, the forward made a lot of uh, strong plays afterwards, but that doesn't happen if Helgi doesn't make that play. And that's just an example of one of the things Helgi took from the development staff who worked with him quite extensively this year, and he was able to take it and implement it in his game. You mentioned tips that, you know, the opposition is going to do something on a face-off. Um, I've asked a bunch of people this, and I always either get blank stares or they pretend like they don't know what I'm talking about, and it drives me nuts. So I'll ask you now. Yeah. Uh, when I was watching the Ontario Reign this season, I saw at least half a dozen face-off formations that I have literally never seen before in, mm -hmm. I don't know, 30 years of watching hockey. Now, I confess, I don't spend a ton of time paying attention to where people are lined up on the face-off, but all of a sudden I'm seeing like an eye formation. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing, you know, a winger like placed in between the defensemen near the blue line on a face-off. Am, am, was I seeing things? Was I just not paying attention to wacky face-off formations before? Was that something you guys were implementing? It was definitely something we were implementing. Just because, again, when you're in the American Hockey League, you typically get a lot more guys who are more well-traveled, let's mm -hmm. say. Which means coming from a lot of different coaching staffs. Which means seeing a lot of different success with different 
place. So something like that you can implement here and there. We had a guy in TJ Tynan who clearly has had a lot of success in his career and was having a very successful season. So there were certain things that he wanted to run that other guys might not um, that work with him in other places and that work. Like I had a few things that I've done. And again, because of the communication, we were, the lines of communication were constantly open, something a lot of us were able to do, not just myself, but a lot of different players on our team were able to do. We were able to try before every face-off, okay, what are we doing here? We would talk about things. If there was a wacky one, as you say, it was something that was discussed previous. So if we went into a play and TJ specifically said, hey, Ferky, you're heading to this spot. Everyone else kind of was able to, okay, he wants him there. That means I'm going here. That means I'm going in this situation. Basically, the point of it is to try to manipulate the defense to give yourself the best opportunity possible in the quickest way. And with a lot of the plays that were run by us, we tried to give off as many face-off, um, as many options for that player once the puck was won as we can have. Yes, there was a lot of instances where we just wanted to strictly get the puck to Ferky and shoot it. Right. Um, because, again, why wouldn't you when you've got the hardest shot in the world? But a lot of other times, you want to create a play that once the puck is won, you have multiple options. There's multiple things going on with the other players on the ice. So if option A uh, doesn't work, you still have option B. Kind of like if you're playing football, if your hot route as a quarterback isn't there, you still got your check down. First receiver's not there. Okay, you got your second receiver. Boom, pass to the uh, pass to the running back in the flat. He can then make a play. Same type of thing with a lot of the plays that we were running was pucks one back to me at the point. Okay, my first play is supposed to be D to D for a one time or to Helgi, but I'm seeing that their wingers coming out very hard and taking away that lane, which means if he's coming out that hard, there's probably going to be space behind him. I might be able to lay it in behind him for our forward who's now come out just beneath him for another play. And a lot of those plays that we ran this year were because it's worked somewhere else. And we had the confidence in our forwards to win these draws. So where we might be in a bit of a compromised situation defensively, if we know they're doing well in that game, winning faceoffs, we played the percentages and we were able to kind of make that work. So let's talk about confidence because uh, you're talking about how much Helgi Grans grew in confidence. It sounds like uh, Hellenius also, you said, you know, pre-goal, post-goal. Um so I had a very clear path in my mind of where I wanted to go with confidence and that I totally I lost. Talk football yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was, it literally I started the sentence knowing where it was going and halfway through it, I lost it. But let's talk about confidence. Hmm. This was Helgi's one and only opportunity to play in the World Juniors. Um, he was a late cut last year and he'll be too old next year. What are you hoping to see from him confidence-wise You know, from that experience? I just hope that Helgi continues to be, when I say confident in himself and his abilities, just trusting them. Um, Helgi has abilities that a lot of guys don't have. Like I said, he makes some of the hard things look very simple. He's able to elude four checkers in the neutral zone just with some of his edge work that other guys just, just can't do. But when he does it, it looks simple. So as a fan, most people w- wouldn't think much of it. Um, he's able to corral passes that are, not in the best of spots, some of the ones that I gave him this year, <laughs> that makes it, again, look like it's just part of the play. The old uh, saying, can't give a good player a bad pass, Helgi typically makes that come to fruition. Um, he has these skills and he's got this shot that he 
could use potentially more often, like he did in this tournament, actually, which I thought he did a great job of using his shot frequently. If he can continue to do that and trust in his skating and trust in his reads, because he makes good, very good reads, I can only see him getting better. Uh, the thing with Helgi, as long as he's assertive, uh, defensively, offensively with his gap, he's an excellent defenseman. And even when he might not quite feel it, his quote-unquote B game now is a responsible game that has lots of skill in it. Helgi improved so much this season. And in this tournament, he played like a pro would be the best way to put it. He had a lot of things. Like uh, I'm just looking at the notes I made from him every game was Helgi looks like a pro. Uh, his shift length was appropriate, meaning shorter shifts early in the game, maybe when his legs weren't quite into it, if he, was, if he wasn't feeling the puck, uh, longer shifts when it was appropriate. So he's got sustained offensive zone time or he this – he was. He noticed some vulnerability in the defense. Uh, he knew he was maybe playing very well, so he wanted to extend the shift. As I mentioned, the pre-face-off discussion, you could. I don't mean to keep harping on the attendance, but because it was kind of empty, mm-hmm. you could really hear Helgi calling for passes. And Helgi's a quiet kid, so to hear him yelling for passes, wanting the puck, that's not something that he was doing very often. Start of the season last year. Um, then some of the stuff the development staff was kind of working on staying tethered to your partner so if his partner has the puck or if he's defending outside the dots on the left side Helgi was doing a good job of staying in the middle of the rink if the partner came over they moved together the other thing that Helgi was doing a lot of was when the puck leaves the offensive zone instead of staying in the same plane of along the boards and skating straight backwards he would take a couple steps to the dot line and then skate backwards so he'd be taking up more of the uh, middle ice than he can defend going inside out. So then the forward then has to go through him, not only vertically, but horizontally to get to the net. And those are things the development staff really worked on this year and Helgi was able to imp- implement it. So with his confidence, when that grows, because a lot of those other things are coming, I just think it's going to be an assertive game that can help him on both ends of the rink. Is there a right way and a wrong way to call for a pass to be assertive as a teammate? Uh, Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. I, I do because I've, I personally don't like when guys yell no. Okay. Why so, would they yell no? So let's say, let's say I'm going back for a puck. Puck's been chipped in my zone. I'm going to pick up a puck and the read I see, I see Helgi come behind me for a reverse. So when I hear my teammate yell, Typically, I know, typically I know where my teammates are. So when I hear a teammate yell, I'm passing it to where I know they are or where they're going to be. So if I hear him yell, reverse, I'm passing it. Sometimes, I'm not saying Helgi does this, but some defense partners I've had, when I'm going back to the puck, instead of yelling skate, they'll yell, no, no, as in don't pass it to them. But when I hear a teammate yell, usually I'm not differentiating the exact words mm-hmm. it's more so on sound so i know he's behind me okay oh i hear him talk i pass the puck off the boards oh that's the other team i heard him know like i <laughs> that's something i don't personally like right but the one the way to i think the way to properly call for it is to again i bring it back to football i don't know if this is because i've been doing mock drafts for my fantasy league <laughs> or because i'm talking to a most most likely an american audience when you, when you talk about quarterbacks behind the line of scrimmage and you can really hear that tone of voice that they have when they're really, really talking to the offensive line, being maybe a little bit demonstrative, but 
assertive, that they know exactly what's happening, the confidence in that. When I hear my partner yell for the puck, like, yeah, yeah, or over, or gaunts, or whatever, and I can hear that they really want the puck just by the, the tenor, the tone, uh, how loud it is, it just makes you that much more confident making that pass because you know, oh, they know it's, they know they're open. They know it's the right play. Perfect. You can just kind of get that sense and that feeling when you've got the puck that they're helping you and they're, they've got your best intention and they know what the best, next best play is. So as a fan, and I listen, all of this, I confess, I don't know half the stuff you're talking about. It sounds great and I love it, but I don't even have very, I don't have good follow-ups because I never, never played. But, um, but as a fan, particularly in camps when, you know, I'm close enough that I can hear it, but sometimes in the games or, or in poorly attended uh, situations, when I see Samuel Fogamo call for the puck, yep. it always feels like if he gets it, the shot is getting off and it was a good opportunity. I never feel like when I see him calling for it, I never have the voice in the back of my head that goes, I'll put your stick down. Shut up. Like, you know, and there have been guys where I've had that where they're calling for the puck and I'm like, dude, you shut up <laughs> but 100 percent. is that that's when you do and again that's when it's kind of the boy who cried wolf if mm-hmm. you've got a teammate who's always beaver tailing, slapping a stick on the ice calling for pucks and you know yeah he thinks he's 7-11 he's always open but that's <laughs> not the case right um you kind of start to get to understand that but like you said with sammy you love playing with players like sammy because he wants the puck he always wants the puck and that's what you want in a teammate. You don't want a guy who, oh, you're in trouble? That's fine. Hey, best of luck on your own. I'll be over here. I had my guy. You want a guy who wants the puck. And Sammy Fagan was a guy that wants the puck in so many situations because he's so confident in himself to make that next play that it makes you confident in the play you're about to make. Uh, so, yes, there are some guys that might be a bit overzealous and might need to tone it down. But... Again, it's easier to tame a tiger than Pate's right sure. to cat, <laughs> yeah. to Jim Harbaugh. So again, I'd want a teammate like that. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you've got plenty of them. And <laughs> uh, it sounds like they, the three that played in the World Juniors uh, showed you some good stuff. So ordinarily, I hate this kind of stuff. We're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Quick letter grade for Casper Seaman title. Ooh, I'd say because of his production, because he helped his team get to the Get to the gold medal game. I'd say an A minus. Okay, and for Samuel Hellenius, uh, I'm going to give him a grade post uh, goal. Okay, uh, just just because before that, I don't think it's fair to do that as a guy who hasn't played much recently. So I'm going to give him a post. Honestly, I think I'm going to give him an A just because of how much he was able to improve, how assertive he was, the fact that he went from a potential fourth line centerman to then playing in overtime in the finals in a three on three, the second or third shift. Um, I thought he did an excellent job. I'm giving him an A. And let's face it, if it wasn't for Mason McTavish making a just unreal play, yes. uh, you know, he's got the assist on the game, on the tournament winner. Yeah. Um, and for Helgi Grounds. Helgi, I'd give Helgi, again, another NA minus. And I think that's just because the only reason why I don't give him a higher one, um, and I'm biased to Helgi because I'm such a big fan of him and good friends with him. I, the only reason why I'm not giving him higher is because I thought the whole the team as a general, it's hard to pin a team's issues on one player, but just the team wasn't quite as uh, consistent throughout the tournament as some of these other ones were. And I thought Helgi kind of in spite of that was able to play very well. But I think the A minus grade for Helgi is just because I've got 
very high expectations for Helgi as sure. being his D partner, seeing how good he is perpetually. But again, an A minus is still something that gets you on the Dean's list most places. So hey, I thought three A's for good. three A's for three players, three medals coming back. Uh, Cameron yeah. Gons, A plus for uh, your performance here today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.